What's up, guys, and welcome to episode four. Welcome back, and so this episode, there's going to be a lot of twists and turns to throw at you. Yeah, very true, Dylan. This story is a weird one, with plenty of speculations and theories. So we're going to combine all our interpretation and reenact some of these to share with you on this case. Yes, but I think we're just going to dive right into it. I think it's what the people want. So on that note, I'm Christopher Wilkes. I'm Dylan Malone, and this is Evil Crimes. the hallway of her home she shares with her husband John and their one 12 year old son Johnny as she walks through the house it is still and quiet she gets to Johnny's door she reaches for the handle and slowly turns the knob the door slowly creaks open Johnny Johnny honey it's time to wake up you're gonna be late for work sweetheart Johnny slowly crawls out of bed reluctantly and heads for the bathroom to brush his teeth. Johnny, who usually wakes up his dad to go with him, decides this morning to take the family Dotson Gretchen instead. Noreen, back in bed, half asleep, hears the front door shut behind Johnny. Johnny heads to the newspaper office with his wagon in tow to pick up his papers for his route as witnessed by other paper carriers that morning. The day starts like any other going from house to house, dropping off the newspapers. It wasn't much later, though, that the phone rings at the Gosh home. Gosh residents. Good morning, John. It's Steve down on Marigold. Hey, Steve. How are you doing this morning? Hey, I'm doing great, but uh, is Johnny home? We, We never received our paper this morning, and we were wondering what happened. Oh, well, Steve... Uh, Johnny hasn't returned home yet. Maybe he's running behind. I'll go track him down and see what the deal is. Hey, thanks, John. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, talk to you soon. So at this point, John drives through the neighborhood looking for Johnny. As he's just about to give up, he sees his red wagon, abandoned on a sidewalk, still full of newspapers. And I think the creepiest thing is he was only two blocks from their front door. I have to imagine he's freaking out at this point. I mean, as a father, I would definitely be freaking out. Right. So he immediately went home and contacted the West Des Moines Police Department and reported Johnny's disappearance. Yeah, and we also know now that Noreen in public statements, and even her book, is very critical of what she perceives as a slow reaction time from authorities. Mm Mm-hmm. So back then, a person could not be classified as missing until 72 hours had passed. I mean, that's crazy to think that, you know, You could be then. gone for three days and... And, yeah, even at... They're like, no, not yet. Yeah, and even at... I mean, this kid's 12 years old. Right. Also, by her estimation, the police actually didn't even arrive after the report um, a full 45 minutes after they called. That's, I mean, that's quite a lot of time, and I can see how a parent, I mean, I would be really frustrated with this. Yeah, but even more frustrating would be that the police initially came to believe that 
Johnny was a runaway. And you know, that seems to be a running occurrence when dealing with these types of cases. Yeah, I feel like as we've investigated uh, cases of disappearance and child abduction, it seems like the first thing that law enforcement is like dead set on, oh, it's a runaway. It has to be a runaway. It has to be a runaway. It, It is. It's crazy. But you know, I mean, just in my own investigation, I would notice the first thing that he didn't take were any clothes with him and nothing was missing from the house. Exactly. I mean... To me, if I'm running away, I'm, I'm going to bring something with me. I mean, I mean a, a little kid usually takes his backpack with his toys and something. Exactly. Something would be missing. But at this point, there were many accounts of people seeing Johnny vanish. One of these accounts came from a neighbor named Mike, who reported that he observed Gosh talking to a stocky man in a blue two-tone Ford Fairmount with Nebraska plates. Mike, of course, did not know what was discussed because he was observing this from his bedroom window. But Mike went further to say that he saw another man following Johnny as he headed further down the street. I will definitely say I'm definitely not this observant. I can barely remember where I parked in a parking lot. <laughs> right? I mean, we are getting a little bit more observant since starting this podcast. Totally. I mean, definitely every time Dylan and I see a trash bag on the side of the road, we of course draw straight to the conclusion it has to be a body inside. It has to be a body. <laughs> and every time I see a flip-flop, because it's always just one flip-flop on the ground. Like, it's never where, both. Where is the other flip-flop? Where, that person's dead. Exactly. Another witness, John Rossi, also saw a man in a blue car talking to Johnny and thought something was strange. So for most accounts, this is the last time Johnny's seen. Let's emphasis on most. We will get to that later in the story. But right now, let's touch on something weirder. So I really hope that we are on the same page about what you're about to talk about. I sure hope so, too. So are you thinking, where's the dog? Bingo. Like, literally, where's the dog? I mean, where did he go? We don't know. Where did she go? Where did it go? (laughs) Poor Gretchen. And in all of our research, like, literally, there is nothing said about this dog ever again. Nothing I mean, at all. It's and we can just hope that she got picked up and she lived out the later years of her life in a beautiful mansion. So people of West Des Moines, if you have seen Gretchen, uh, she's just, you know, a little a little miniature dachshund. Please uh, give the West Des Moines uh, Police Department a call. Thank you. Thank you. So now to digress to a pretty interesting part of this case. So I think we've all heard of the kids on the milk cartons, right? Yeah, so this actually... Oddly enough, if you've been watching our social media and follow us, I did have a picture of milk cartons and was like, where does it all connect? Here, we're going to wrap it. We're going to wrap it back down. So this case was one of the first cases that made it onto a milk carton with a picture of Johnny Gosh on the back uh, and helped make aware to people of the cases involving missing children. So this actually, what they came up with was pretty brilliant. It was pretty brilliant, but we actually found out that it didn't last very long because, um, from what we can tell, that actually was scaring some of the kids. Yeah, that's actually what I I read uh, and actually listened to one of the interviews with when they were going over the milk cartons. And the biggest thing was, was, you know, kids were getting these in, in grade school and stuff. And yeah, they see eating these their kids. lunch yeah, and they that, see kids missing. Yeah, that, like look like them and they're gone and it's like, oh, I could be gone too. Right. So, But of course, now that we've moved to plastic, this form of media is pretty non-existent these days. True. And I think also, you know, with the insurgence of social media like Facebook, uh, and all those things. I mean, it has moved using that to get the word out. Definitely. And it spreads so much faster that a- way. Absolutely. 
So now we want to move and talk about some of the speculations that have come out of this case, because there's a lot of people who said they either saw Johnny get into different vehicles. They, you know, witnessed people taking him. So we, we want to touch on some of those. Right. So about six months after Johnny's kidnapping, one of like the first um, appearances of Johnny actually came to be. And a woman said that she was approached by a young boy in a parking lot of a convenience store in Oklahoma screaming, I'm Johnny, gosh, I've been kidnapped and immediately was subdued by two men. And she said that she never saw him again. Never again. And then there was another one where there was a dollar bill and it turned over to the family with the writing, I am alive, Johnny Gosh. Um, now, this was confirmed by his mom that it was his handwriting. So we'd have to believe that was true. Yeah, right. Um, another clue was in Denver, Colorado. In a bathroom in red nail polish, it said Johnny Gosh was here. And these are just a couple of examples of people who said that they've seen Johnny and witnessed him out and about since he was uh, taken. But there's stuff everywhere. You can go on YouTube. You can listen to other podcasts, read yeah, I mean, books. There's, there's documentaries yeah. on, on this case. It's it's a really interesting case because there's I mean there's not a lot to go on necessarily. Um, it's just all speculation. It is. You know, even going further to Noreen said uh, that in 1997 she got a knock on her door and she opened it and Johnny was standing in front of her. And so you're thinking, what, what, like, well, what in the world? Yeah. Like, Like, why doesn't he stay? She says he stays a couple of hours. Um, he talks about how he is a part of some kind of sex trafficking ring. Um, and he's not allowed to talk to her. He can't really be there for very long. And about, like I said, a couple of hours later, he vanishes. And so I can understand, you know, how this would be very weirded out and all this stuff like like Dylan even said you can go she has lots of interviews about you know this uh, incident Uh, now his father on the other hand they have split up at this point Um, and he kind of doesn't believe the mom with a lot of this stuff just about the sex traffic story and kind of from what and I I can only imagine her grieving You know, I I can only imagine losing your child and you're trying to piece it together. What happened? And all of this could, every one of the pieces of this information could be true. Well, it could be true, but we can't actually sit here and say factually. Absolutely. I mean, there's no, there's really no facts um, other than just a few things from, from, you know, the time that it happened. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's all speculation and, you know, we all want, you know, a a positive answer to this. But I mean, this late, you know, there's, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to see. It's been how many years? A, since 82. So yeah. I mean, it's, it's been it's a while. Been, it has and, been a while, but you know, she still powers strongly yeah. through. And to, we, we watched a clip earlier from yes. her and uh, she was actually um, addressing a documentary that was coming out in the Des Moines area. Yes. And she was on one of the news, uh, the new shows there in the city and, and just talking about all these different speculations from people that have come forward with stories and and different, you know, tidbits of information of where Johnny might be and, and right. the different things that might have happened to him. And I do like the fact that, you know, she is not just dealing with Johnny's case. She's really pushing for other cases. She is. There was a, 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 a semi-coincidence with uh, two other disappearance in that same area. Now, 
you know, we haven't done much research on it, but it, it's kind of hard to connect the two, the three, but they're trying to. And, um, and yeah, I mean, we, we just wish them the best to try to piece it all together. Right. But we actually, we do want to take some of those uh, videos that we've listened to and put them in here for you guys. Yeah. So, so, we, hear, so you can actually hear some of these accounts that, that we've talked about. So this first one we're going to play for you is actually a, an account from Noreen. Uh, from when Johnny came home to visit her. Yeah. Yes, so let's go ahead and take a listen. I've been hiding from these same people uh-huh. since 1988. Right. That's 16 years. Okay. Jeez. Um, I had one visit from him in 1997. And that's it? I had, yes, that's just one. I had been on the Lisa Gibbons program. heard Noreen uh, pretty much re- her recollection of him coming to see her right um, it's pretty interesting you know I mean like I said I mean that's between him and her I mean we don't it's we like don't, all of these stories we can't we can't tell I mean can't obviously credit, we, we can't don't, discredit yeah know? we don't want to say his, his mom could be making something up but right we can't factually say that it, it actually happened yeah so I mean it's kind of all of there like I said there's other uh Videos and, and commentary of, of what other people think really happened or, mm-hmm. you know, and and even crediting this this story with, with different stories. So And we actually want to take a listen to one next that kind of does give some credit to what Noreen said that Johnny told her. Yeah, talking about the, the sex trafficking. So there, yeah. there was, and I mean, I guess I, I do agree that there are these pedophile rings per Mm -hmm. se. I don't know if, you know, honestly, I believe they're at the extent of what some people say they are. Um, But like I said, you don't don't know. So right now we're going to take a listen to one report um, on these certain uh, pedophile rings. And so we're going to take a listen to that right now. Hello, I'm John Zelensky, writer, photographer, and publisher. I have been in the state of Iowa for more than 20 years. I'm the author of Portrait of Iowa, the Amish Pioneer Heritage, Meskwaki and Proud of It, Children of Iowa, Unknown Iowa, and many other books on Iowa and the Amish. I'm under a total blacklist in the state of Iowa 
as I attempt to prove that major politicians, members of the university faculty and staff, legislators, and police are involved in a major cover-up of child slavery, drug trafficking, and murder. I joined with members of the Nebraska legislature, including State Senator John DeCamp, to try to reveal what happened to Johnny Gosh and other missing children in this country. July 17, 1991, I was on WHO Talk Radio with Mrs. Gosh, Noreen Gosh, along with Ted Gunderson, the former head of the Los Angeles Bureau of the FBI. Our main point was that an organization called NAMLA, North American Man Boy Love Association, was kidnapping children throughout the United States and training them to be sex slaves and selling them at auction. Uh, John Gosh described in 1983 attending a Senate hearing on child pornography that showed a catalog that Mr. Gosh described as a Sears Roebuck type catalog, big, thick catalog, offering children for sale. From 1983, our U.S. Congress, Senator Harkin, Senator Grassley, James Leach, all knew that in the United States was an organization so big and so powerful that they could put together a catalog and offer children for sale. Johnny Gosh was apparently kidnapped by being selected from that catalog. He had been photographed two weeks before his kidnapping. I have said NAMBLA exists, North American Man-Boy Love Association. Now here is the Reader's Digest in a first story after 10 years of silence. The last story published on the North American Man-Boy Love Association was in Time Magazine in 1983, and it suggested that NAMBLA picked children up at bus depots and forced them into prostitution and into pornographic films and so on. Now, this story by Reader's Digest skirts the complete truth of NAMBLA by setting the situation in Asia only and talking about child slaves in Asia. Yet, State Senator John DeCamp of Nebraska, who participated in the investigation of the Nebraska legislature, has clearly stated that North American Man-Boy Love Association had everything to do with the kidnapping of Johnny Gosh and thousands, tens of thousands, and, and perhaps hundreds of thousands of children in America. Well, I, I think that one was actually pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely brought uh, some credibility to her case. It does, and it kind of shows you at that time um, in 83 that what was going on and what they were yeah. dealing with and the, the types of kids that were disappearing and what was they, they thought was happening to them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's hard to believe that that something like this would go on in America, but I guess, you know, it's something it's, that we have to, we have to yeah, deal with. Part and, of reality. I mean, there's people, there are people disappearing every day, and we definitely wanted to take this episode to really focus on, you know, this case, but there's many more cases. Um, I think one of the things that we wanted to, um, to wonder uh, to our fans and people listening is, do you like the cases that are unsolved? You know, mm-hmm. do you want to hear more cases that are unsolved? Um, is it something you're interested in? And if so, uh, if you would let us in our comments, let us know. Yeah, let us know. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, we personally love unsolved cases. I mean, it, it opens up the door for interpretations and, and really going into what you think happened. And we love debating crimes and we love talking about crimes. So 
the ones that we actually don't have facts on are sometimes the most interesting to talk about. Absolutely. I mean, like I said, there's so many unsolved cases that either turn cold that no one's talking about anymore. And I think it's extremely important to keep those cases fresh and, and open in, mm-hmm. you know, in, the, in our communities and, you know, around. Exactly. So I guess at this point... I'm Christopher Wilkes. I'm Dylan Malone, and this is... Evil Crimes.